Um, we, we wanted to be a little bit more regular about giving a financial update and report about what's going on. And so uh, we've kind of talked about trying, you know, we've done it in different ways in the past. Uh, it, years ago, we used to publish every Sunday in the bulletin kind of what tithes and offerings and our expenses were, and uh, we felt like that really wasn't helpful. Um, so, so we've then, you know, decided to do different ways. So what we're trying right now is maybe every two months to kind of give you a financial update about where the church is, any needs, any blessings that, that we wanted to talk about. So in December, uh, we, we talked about the tax bill that came up and that we had set aside money for the tax bill, but it was like 50% higher than what we expected. And uh, we shared that with you. And you guys were faithful, God was good, and we raised the money, and we paid the tax bill on time, um, and, and everything worked out. Um, so here we are two months later, and wanted to just give you kind of a further update on what's going on. So I, as a church, we run on a budget of about 365000 a year in, in expenses. Um, so that kind of calculates, averages out to we spend about $1,000 a day on average. Now we don't really spend a thousand a day, but you know, on the on 365 days into 365,000. So we budget our tithes and offerings related to our expenses. So as we look at tithes and offerings, we, we look to get about 7,000 a week from tithes and offerings to help cover our expenses. Um, and so as stewards of what God provides for us, we make decisions based on staying within the tithes and offerings that we receive um, because we don't want to go into debt. We don't want to be trying to do things that God hasn't provided the resources for. So as we look at that budget of 365000 about 50% of it goes to uh, staff salaries. And so we have three full-time staff, Matt, uh, Ryan, and... Uh, Mary Sparling, we have um, a couple part-time staff, so David's part-time, Chelsea's part-time, and then we have volunteer staff. So I'm volunteer, um, Stacy is volunteer, uh, Ariel and Will are volunteer youth leaders, and Jason and Natalia are volunteer um, children's ministry leaders. So about, so that's about 50% is for staffing. Uh, about 25%, 28% is for buildings, so rent and utilities and, and that kind of thing. And then 10%, we do a first fruit offering. So we take 10% of what we receive, and we give that out to support missionaries and other ministries that, that, are in the, uh, that we're associated with. And then there's about 6% for ministry expense and another 6% for general administrative overhead kind of thing. So that's the 100% of the of the 365,000. So that's kind of the overview of our finances. So in January, um, our tithes and offerings um, were at the lowest they were for the last four years. Um, so as we kind of keep records of that. So in January, tithes and offerings were $17,000. Usually for a five-week, five-Sunday month, we would expect 35000 so about half of what we expected. Um, yeah, that, that sounds kind of like, hmm, the Lord's trying to get our attention here, right? 
And, and, and so when I, when I see something like that, it's like, okay, God, we feel your presence here. We know you are blessing us. What does this mean? You know, and I started to think about um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, when God gave the promise to Abraham, come into this, pro- this land I, I'm going to give you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, and so Abraham walks the, the breadth of the land, and then a famine happens, a famine so severe that he has to leave the land that God promised to go down to Egypt. But God blesses him in Egypt, and he comes back from Egypt more prosperous than when he left. Now, then in the next generation, God makes the same promise to Isaac. And he says, Isaac, just as I promised this land to your father, I promise it to you. And then what happens? Isaac experienced a famine in the land, so severe he had to leave the land to go down to Gerar. And while he was there in Gerar, God blessed him, and he came back more blessed than he was when he left. And then the next generation, the generation of Jacob, God says the same thing. This land, as I promised your father, your grandfather Abraham and your father Isaac, I'm going to give this land to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then what happens? Jacob experiences a famine in the land so severe they, they have to go down to Egypt. And yet it is at that time that, Jake, that God prospers Jacob and his, the 12 sons so that they come back from there a nation. So, so it's in these times where God says, I promise to bless you, and then we experience famine, that we begin to say, okay, God, we know you want to bless us. What's going on? And we just turn to God in faith and in, 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 in gratitude to say, we, we trust that you're doing good things, even when the plan that we, you have for us as you guide our steps is different than what we have. So we know God is able to meet our needs, um, but we also have to make decisions about what do we do. So, so we are grateful that God provides. We are thankful for your generosity that you guys give uh, as you are able. But we also ask for wisdom, that, we, that you would pray for wisdom for the leaders as we make decisions about what God is doing at, at this time in, in, in our church. So kind of in light of that, I'd like to take up an offering today. But we're not going to need to pass a basket for this offering. I want us to give a thank offering to God. In Leviticus 7, God talks about how to give a thank offering. And it's a free will offering. It's not something you have to do. But it's an offering where you just say, thank you, God, for the good things that you have done for us. And so actually, the passage I want to read is from Psalm 107. And I think this is a psalm of David when he talks about giving a thank offering. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. So that's what I'd like us to do this morning, is just take a minute, and for each one of us, just to voice our thanks to God for how good he has been to us, how faithful he has been in our lives, and how he has come to our aid in our times of stress. So let's just take a minute and, and voice our thanks to God, okay? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. 
Thank you for how you've blessed our family. Thank you for how you've blessed our congregation. You have been faithful in our time of need. You have healed us, and you have brought us salvation. So, Lord, we just thank you. We ask you to receive this offering from us, that it might be pleasing and fragrant before you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, you can, you can clap. That's fine. So kind of in keeping with that, as we think about how do we conduct, you know, as, as a church family, we have to talk about finances and that kind of stuff. And how do we make it part of our worship of God? Um, so that it's not something that feels awkward and, okay, let's step, let's not be spiritual and worship, let's just step over here and be practical and talk about money. So one of the things that, that we, we discussed about doing then is that as we give updates on our financial situation, just to try to include, stay with that theme then and talk about um, how God sees wealth and talk about money a little bit as part of our spiritual uh, life. And so um, it, it's a, a topic I, I enjoy. I've always enjoyed money. I've not always had money, but I always enjoy money. Um, <laughs> everybody does. Well, yeah, um, it, it can be a stumbling block. And so what I thought I would begin doing is exploring some topics related to, to wealth, to riches, to money uh, from a biblical perspective. Uh, because I think I've wrestled through a lot of issues in my life where money was evil, money was wonder, was a blessing, and just working through, God, what is your perspective? I don't want to hear the world's perspective. I don't want my own greed to, uh, to, to be there. But I want to know what it is, how do you see wealth, and how do we begin to, to work with it? So, um, so the teachings I'm going to be doing associated with giving financial updates is, is going to be related to that. So um, money is an important part of our lives, right? Uh, whether we have it or not, it can be important. Um, if we don't have enough of it, we think about how to get more or how to get by with the little that we have. If we have some, uh, we wonder how to get more of it, how to keep what we have, or how to spend it in a way that makes sense. Um, some people believe it's not polite to talk about money in public or in socially. And so often we avoid the, the topic. Uh, but avoiding the topic, then if you avoid you learning about good, good things about it too. I mean, so we can stay in our trouble if we have money troubles. We don't learn any wisdom if we don't talk about it. If we don't, you know, part of confessing our sins one to another is to say, oh, I, didn't, I didn't stick by my budget. I spent my money on crap, and now I don't have money to pay my bills. <laughs> you know, that's a sin as well. So you learn to confess those things, and then you learn to have the wisdom of God speak into your life. And so um, I, I want to be more open in, in talking about money and how God sees money how God sees wealth, and how we can um, be blessed by it. So, you know, Jesus talked about money quite a bit. I mean, if you read through the Gospels, 
Um, I was reading where 11 of the 39 parables, Jesus is talking about money in some way. So about 25% of the parables have a money theme. Now, Jesus wasn't giving financial advice necessarily, but he was talking about money in ways about how does it reveal a person's heart? How does it reveal what their relationship is with God and with others? And, and because Jesus taught where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we think about wealth as treasure, then how we manage our money reflects where our heart is in our relationship with God. Um, and so it, it becomes important from that perspective. Now, treasure isn't always money, right? I mean, treasure can be loved ones, possessions, and often other things that we don't think of as money. Treasure can be our health. You, you, you know, um, if you're not healthy but you have a lot of money, probably all you're going to do is be spending your money on trying to get healthy, right? Um, so, so wealth can mean a lot of different things. Uh, so today I want to talk about God's perspective on money, wealth, prosperity. And as we learn God's views um, on the subject, we can begin to get our lives in line um, with his way of doing things. And as we get our lives in line with God's way of doing things, the blessings can flow through us. And that's an important part of learning how to live in the abundance of God is that we get in alignment with how he has created the world to work. So I want to start with uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 through 18. <clears throat> and so this is one of the early passages where, where God speaks to the uh, children of Israel um, about wealth. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of land of slavery, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is God who gives, you wealth, who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So to me, that's a great verse where we really begin to see the, the heart of God as it becomes for his people and how he wants to bless them but he doesn't want the blessing to become a curse to them. And so he begins to teach them. So in verse 10, God, we see that God gives good gifts so that we can be satisfied. 
God is not a God who wants to keep us dissatisfied in life, always on the edge of, uh, of trouble or the edge of, of being uncomfortable. He's leading his people into a land flowing with milk and honey. He wants them to enjoy it. Um, their response is to be thankful for what God is doing for them. But God also knows, well, no, let me get, go first. So you see in then, in, then in verse 12, not only does God want them to be satisfied with the food that they eat, but, but he sees the time um, that they will build fine houses, that their herds and their flocks will grow large, that their silver and gold will increase, and that they, all that they have will multiply. So the picture that God paints here that he has for his people is one of, of true abundance in terms of their practical lifestyle, living in fine houses, their herds and their flocks are increasing, their silver and gold is accumulating, and God blesses this. This is his plan for his people. But God also knows the character of his people, right? And that as humans, we can often easily get off track, that, that we get uh, distracted by the glittering things, you, you know, the sparkly things. It's like, mm, oh, I need to go this way. And so God says, also warns them about the trouble that could be ahead. People have a tendency to become proud and to forget God in the midst of their abundance and in their pride. And so he warns them not to let the blessing become a curse. And so verse 14 kind of gets into this. He said, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And, and so that's a key part as we are, are thinking about wealth and what, what we'll hear Jesus teaching as well is that God wants to bless you, but he doesn't want the blessing to lead you away from him. He wants the blessing to be something that is a part of it. And so God gives us the solution in verse 11 uh, to how do we avoid the blessing becoming a curse. And so in 11 it says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am giving you this day. That, that the way we avoid the blessing from becoming the curse is by continuing to walk before the Lord according to the way that he has, he has described for us. Part of it as well is that God wants to build in us the character that we need in order to live out and to enjoy the blessing fully. And so this is what he's getting at in verses 15 and 16 that God led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Moses talks about how God has used these past 40 years to build a history of faithfulness with them. They've gone through hard times, but God has shown up in each of those hard times to provide for them. And so they have this history of faithfulness now that they can go back to so that when they are moving into the blessing, that, that they can trust God 
uh, in, in the midst of that. God wants them to be successful. And so part of that is developing the character that can handle the blessing. The key is in verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors. So it's part of our, the covenant that God makes with us is that he will take care of us, that he will bless us. So it's important. You know, so this is Old Testament. This is before Jesus. But, but I think Jesus knew this passage, and, and he brings it into the New Testament as well. So I want to kind of jump ahead thousands of years and, and hear this part that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6, 24 through 33. So Jesus teaches on this and says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, right? Do you hear in that kind of what we were just reading in Deuteronomy? Don't let your prosperity lead you away from God. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, the non-believers, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So Jesus picks up on those same themes that God talked about back in Deuteronomy. You cannot serve both God and money, so don't let money lead you astray from God. At the same time, Jesus acknowledges that people have legitimate need for food, for clothes, for shelter, right? God did not plan for us to worry about these things. God's plan was to trust him, and as we seek his goodness, as we get in alignment with his way of doing things, these blessings will flow to us. Life is more than pursuing food and drink. You know, it's interesting. I, I think that's kind of a, a Jewish uh, pedagogy, a method of teaching, is to say, is, is life just food and drink? Is the body just about eating? He, he says what it's not about, but it, it's, it's a, a method of trying to engage in us to say, well, what is life really all about? If life is not about eating and drinking, what is life? What should we be pursuing in life? if not these things. And it leaves us as the listener to say, okay, what's in my heart? God, what is it you want us 
to pursue and to put us on that path. The way that we can have more in life is by seeking God first, by looking to his way of doing things. And as we do things his way, then the blessings will just continue to flow toward us. So Jesus then, throughout his ministry, begins to teach people more and more about how to use worldly wealth. In, um, where am I? In Luke 16, 1 through 9, he tells the parable about a rich uh, steward, a rich man who had a steward. And so Jesus told his disciples, there was a, a rich man whose property manager whose business manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account on your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And so he called in each one of the master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. That's a lot of olive oil. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. 50% discount. That's pretty good. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe and a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. And the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, this is a, a difficult passage by Jesus at times, right? I mean, it, on the surface, it might sound like he's commending somebody cheating, somebody being dishonest, right? Um, but as you look at the, really the whole of the passage, uh, I think what co Jesus is commending here is, is his shrewdness, not his dishonesty. And so it, it's important to make that distinction the shrewdness that Jesus is looking at is what he says there, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. That we think of worldly wealth as an end in itself. You know, I want to store up a lot of money. I want to have a lot in my bank account. And so we think we've achieved a great result when we have a lot of money. But from God's perspective, money is not an end in itself. It's a means to to use toward achieving uh, the kingdom of God, uh, to, to make friends, to, to use to bless other people, to show the goodness of God to those around us. Um, and so when we use it as a means to an end and not an end in itself, we begin to put it in its proper place. Jesus' point to the parable is that we need to use the money that is here today and gone tomorrow to store up treasure in heaven that will last for eternity. This money is kind of God's version of a retirement account. 
You know, I remember as a young man, um, I didn't have a lot of financial sense at the time. And it, it actually, for several years that Heather and I were married, uh, we just lived, you know, paycheck to paycheck. We didn't know what a budget was. Um, we just paid our bills as they came due, and we robbed Peter to pay Paul. And then somewhere along the way, we began to get a clue. I mean, my folks never taught me about a budget. Heather's folks never taught her about a budget. And so in our married life, we didn't know about a budget. Uh, but after a while, we began to learn that we needed to have a budget, that we needed to live this revolutionary idea, right? Spend less than you make. <laughs> that was a new concept for us. Um, but our financial life began to really change when we began to live according to that um, and, and find out how to do that. But one of the things I learned was about putting away for retirement. And, and so I, we'd had some friends and my, and my dad ran into some hard times when he was about 55. So, uh, and had to change jobs and, and, and his financial life went in a downward spiral for a while when he was 55 and couldn't get a good job, although he was an educated man, he, he, things just changed. And so one of the things I realized is that I wanted to be ready to retire when I was 55. And so that seemed impossible when I was in my 20s. But I began to learn more about it, and I began to put away money uh, consistently over the years. And every time I got a raise, rather than spending the raise, I just put the raise into retirement. And God blessed that. And fortunately, when I did get laid off at 55, I was able to retire. So I say that as an illustration that God has a retirement plan for each one of you. His retirement plan isn't just when you get into your 60s. His retirement plan is for eternal life. And so part of what Jesus is teaching here is about laying up treasure in heaven. How do you use this earthly life and the, world, the wealth of this world to set up an eternal retirement program so that when this life is over, you have a mansion in heaven? You have riches and a reward in heaven because of how you've lived your life here uh, to, to store up treasure. And so I think that concept to me of being able to store up treasure in heaven by what we do here today is an important concept for God that, that, that we can learn to live and, and, and guide us through um, how we spend our money. Jesus goes on to to teach several more times about worldly wealth and the deceptiveness of it. Another kind of key passage is in um, Luke 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge over you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know, it's one of those statements, okay, if, it doesn't ex if life is not in the abundance of possessions, what, it is, what is it in the abundance of? And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man 
yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns because they're too small and build bigger ones. And I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So Jesus is very clear that success and prosperity in this life does not equate with, with success with God. We may think, you know, as the world says, oh, if you've got a lot in your bank account, if you've got a, a fine house and wonderful, um, you know, your flocks have really increased, that is a promise that God has said for his people. But to say, because I have these things, God has given me his favor is not the right connection. If we're hoarding things for ourselves, and we talked about this in Sunday school, you know, in the book of James, we were talking about uh, the rich who have hoarded for themselves in, in these la last days. And what's the difference between hoarding and saving for the future? And, and when you're hoarding, you have the attitude of this guy, oh, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to just use this for my own self-indulgence. It is hoarding. But saving then is just like Joseph, uh, when he was in Egypt and the famine was coming, he stored up uh, food for uh, to redistribute to those when the need uh, came up. We deceive ourselves when we think that just because we have been successful by the world standards, that we are successful in God's eyes. And so that's one of the key things we have to consider as we, as, as we experience wealth and prosperity in our lives, that prosperity in, in the world sense doesn't equate with prosperity in, in God's perspective. Um, and we need to stay before God to make sure um, that doesn't happen. Jesus met a man like this who had been deceived by his wealth. In uh, Matthew 19, Jesus then came upon, just then a man came upon up to Jesus and said, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which one? The young man replied. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept the young man said, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, complete, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Unfortunately, this young man had been deceived by his wealth, right? I mean, what Jesus is saying here is that it's not impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, just that it becomes difficult when people love their wealth more than they love God. Um, you, you see this in a couple aspects of the young man's behavior. I mean, he comes to Jesus to say, what do I need to inherit eternal life? Evidently, he didn't feel like something in his life was right. He, he came still seeking. He had been doing things that he knew he should do following the commandments, and yet he felt like something was still lacking. And Jesus responds with the several of the commandments, but then adds, love your neighbor as yourself, which isn't one of the Ten Commandments, but is one uh, uh, that Jesus says is one of the greatest commandments. So, and the man says, I've done these things. At least on the surface, he is, seems to be following the commands of God. But then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, of what his heart is really, the young man's heart is really all about. He tells him, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and come follow me. And at saying this, the young man balks, right? That's too much. So you see that his heart, when it came to his possessions, was his desire to follow God was not greater than his desire to have his possessions and his wealth. And so you see in his heart the dynamic that Jesus was getting at at that point. Jesus is not condemning being wealthy, but acknowledging what we read back in Deuteronomy, that wealth has a tendency to corrupt lives. And so we see that in, in this interaction with the rich young ruler. So there is the call that Jesus gives all of us to love God above all else. That's true for everyone. And then for some, this requires selling it all and giving it to the poor and following him. There is this part where the wealth that God has for some is a life of simplicity and poverty and focus on him. Not really poverty, but simplicity and, and living depending on the Lord for what, what they need to do. But that's not true that God calls all of us in that direction. And, and I want to show that by several different stories here as well. In, in Mark 14, we read, While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked the woman harshly. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. She was anointing him for his burial, for his death that was coming up. She didn't know that. She just wanted to express her gratitude. 
So you see in this situation, God wasn't saying, I mean, Jesus wasn't saying sell it and give the money to the poor. There are opportunities to use our wealth to bless Jesus, to honor what God is doing in the midst of us. And that's a legitimate use of the wealth that God gives us. In another story about Jesus in Luke chapter 8, Jesus traveled about from town to town, village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 disciples were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the, managers, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And so we think of the 12 disciples as following Jesus around the country, but there was also a group of women that were following Jesus around the country. And these were wealthy women or women from wealthy families and that they were using their wealth to help support Jesus's ministry as he traveled about so he could focus on teaching and healing and casting out demons. And so these women weren't called to sell all they had and give to the poor but they were called to come follow Jesus and to use their wealth to support the work that he was doing. A, a third story in Matthew 27. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of a rock. And he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. So Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. He was rich enough that he had tombs, that he had fine houses. And, and, and yet he was a disciple of Jesus at the same time. So Jesus hadn't called him to sell all that you have and give to the poor. But he had said, come follow me. And so Joseph of Arimathea used his wealth then at Jesus' time of death to honor Jesus by giving him a grave to put the body in. And God had used this then as the, the grave of resurrection to show that Jesus' work wasn't finished on the cross. It's finished as he sits at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, and, and takes it there. So, so as we think about wealth and money in our lives, it, it's an important topic. It, it's something that, that we don't need to be shy talking about. We don't need to be ashamed uh, because we may not know how to handle our money very well. Uh, it, it's something that we, we don't need to avoid having the discussion it's something we need to embrace so that we can talk about it and begin to learn the wisdom of God to enjoy his blessings and to share those blessings uh, with those around us. These teachings from the Old Testament and from the, life, the ministry of Jesus, the, the early church then took in and taught their people as well. We read in Paul from 1 Timothy chapter 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we see in that many of the same themes that, that God talked about back in Deuteronomy, that Jesus talked about in his ministry. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money. So as we learn to put money in its proper place, it can be a tool that we use in our toolbox. It can be something that we use to support the work of God around us. And that's the proper place from money and wealth um, in, in our lives. So, so three things I'd like you to walk away with today. One, first and foremost, that prosperity is part of God's covenant with his people. God wants to see us prosper. He wants to see us succeed. He wants to see us uh, enjoy life. Life is given to us as a blessing, and he wants to see his children be blessed by it. But two, Wealth can also lead us into pride and away from God, thus becoming a curse to us. And we need to be aware of that so that, that we can avoid that temptation. We can avoid the blessing becoming a curse. Um, God warns us of that, not so that we would avoid being blessed, but so that we can handle the blessing in good, as good stewards. And then three, we can enjoy the blessings and avoid the curse by making sure that we treasure above all else our relationship with God and that we follow his instructions in how to live our life. Those three truths kind of provide that big overview of how we deal with wealth and what, what Jesus teaches us about the place of wealth in our lives. I think in, in, in months to come, I'd like to teach more ab about uh, different financial and economic principles because as we move into that, oftentimes God wants to bless us and we're not willing to receive the blessing that he has for us. And sometimes unintentionally, sometimes out of our ignorance, God is trying to give to us and we're saying, I want that, but then we're not letting him in. And just a couple examples of that. Um, a couple months ago, I saw a news story on TV and they were talking about a food desert um, in, this, in many small towns in the state of Kansas. And, and so they were talking about, you know, small towns don't have enough people to support a supermarket, and so people have to drive 50 miles to get to a grocery store. And they were showing pictures of this, and, and the thought that came to me was, they showed pictures of the town that had a lot of good land, um, but people weren't raising any animals, they weren't raising any crops, they had all they needed to produce food, and yet their mindset was, I need to go to a grocery store to buy food, rather than I need to work with my community and let's plant community gardens, let's learn how to raise animals, and that we can be using the goodness of God that he's giving us to feed ourselves, rather than 
thinking of where is our poverty? Well, we don't have enough people to support a grocery store. And so, but, but God said to me in the midst of that story, that's how my people often live as well, is that I'm trying to bless them and rather than getting in line with my blessing and the flow of my goodness and grace, they're looking for a solution from the world. This is what the world tells you to do and they keep trying to do that, but it leads them to poverty. Rather than listening to my way of doing things and the abundance that I want to pour into their lives and to receive that. And so today I want to pray for you that your hearts will be open, that your minds will be open to do things in new ways. Maybe that God uh, is, is leading you into. And just like, you know, God promises Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to, I'm going to give you this land flowing with milk and honey, and then they experience uh, famine, seems ironic, seems comical, seems it's confusing, right? But the way God works in our lives, he has a plan, and he will guide our steps. And so if we will give ourselves to the way God wants to do things, he's going to bless us. He's going to lead us and, and make our life abundant. So let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for your word, that you don't sugarcoat it, that you don't uh, make promises that you don't intend to keep. You have promised to bless your children, that we are your treasured possessions, and we want to stay in alignment with the flow of your goodness and your kindness and your forgiveness and your redemption. So Lord, help us this day as we come before you. We, we want to do things your way. We want to follow in your footsteps. And so, Lord, we repent of having trusted in what the world tells us to do. And now we turn and we look at your word and we say, Father, help us to live according to your commandments, to your decrees, to your principles, so that we might receive your blessing and let your blessing flow through us to the world around us, that your name may be made great, that a testimony of your loving kindness may rise in the world as they see your people who are called by your name blessed and sharing that blessing in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, be blessed this week and go in peace and prosperity. Amen.